Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Hello, and welcome to episode 36 of SLP Talk Show. It is the new year. Uh, This is our first episode that we have recorded this year, even though it's the end of the month. Yeah. (laughs) So... And this is Jim, in case you're yeah. new. Hello. 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 We're back. We're back. I feel bad, but can I just explain to everyone where we've been? Yeah. Why we've been MIA? There, um, there are reasons. There are reasons. Reasons. Um, this episode that we're we're doing today, I had down that we were going to do this on January 3rd, mm-hmm. and it is January 29th. And so my mom uh, has been in the hospital for, she went in the day after Christmas, and it has been a long, long journey. And she is finally home Yep. And lots of heart issues, so there's a plan in place. So uh, my sisters and I and Jim have just spent lots of time caring for her and being at the hospital and taking her to appointments. And yep. So yeah. it's been crazy, but I feel like we're back on track. And then once we got her home, then I started traveling, right. and I have been gone uh, for two weeks straight. Yeah. You did the the Northern Pass? Uh, I did. I went to Wisconsin and then Mm -hmm. went to Iowa. And then tomorrow morning I leave for Mississippi. So don't have a lot of time here at home in the office to record. So (laughs) we're doing it. Yes. We're doing it. Okay. Well, so Happy New Year. A month late. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thought we should have party horns, but we kind of missed that boat. So no party horns today. Probably not appropriate now. You know, 2023, it's kind of an exciting year for us. We have a lot of things underway. Mm -hmm. We are working on a new website. Right. Which hopefully will be done in the next few months. It's a process, definitely. Uh, In July is our 30th wedding anniversary. I know. That's so crazy. 30 years. I I think I've been married to you long. Yeah. I, I did that a long time ago. Been I've been married week. longer than I've been alive. No, before. not than you've been alive. You, you, yeah, you. We've been married longer than we were single. How's that? Yeah, because yeah. I got married. We were. 20 I was twenty three. So. Yep, yep, yep. Um, our daughter is getting married this yes. summer. Aaron yep. is graduating from high school in I know. May. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. Like, it's a wild, wild year. So, we're excited. Thanks for listening. Uh, before we get started with our topic, which is going to be a good topic, uh, I think we better start with our first game of Chumper Champ <laughs> no. in 2023. Are you ready? I don't know. Are you feeling lucky? Uh, no. Are you feeling, you know, you better feel lucky. So, I know that by the time people, most people listen to this, this day will be over, but the Chiefs also play football today mm-hmm. in the NFC. No, AFC. AFC. AFC Championship. Know. AFC Championship. Yeah. Yeah. So, we won't talk about that because I don't want to jinx us there, but okay. let's feel lucky today, okay? Okay. We're feeling lucky. Here we go. Four questions. Yes. I think you can do it. Can I? Yes. Okay. okay. Question number one. What country is Samsung from? Samsung? (laughs) Uh, Japan. Eh, South Korea. Okay. Sorry. See? I I thought that was like, I mean, I didn't know, but I just assumed you would know that. Nope. Okay, here we go. Next one. Uh, What is the largest planet in our solar system? Jupiter. Yay! 
You should have led with that one. Okay, sorry. What is the name of the memorial with the faces of four American presidents carved in granite? Uh, uh, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, very good. Very good. Okay. Um, what function does a diaphragm have in the human body? Diaphragm? Um, something to do with air, breathing. Yes, breathing, respiration. You yeah. did it. You did it. Okay. And the last one. Who said the magical phrase, open sesame? Um, Alibaba? Yes, you I... did really good. <laughs> Well, that was five. Oh, I gave you five questions. Yeah. Oh, well. So I got four out of five. You got four. So we're going to say you did 100% then. Well, no. That's 80%. But... Well, we won't count the one you missed. See? Because we always only do four <laughs> questions. Oh, pick pick any. If you get any four right, then then you're... You're, you're you're a genius. Yes. Right? Okay. So this okay. is the new way of doing Chumper Champ in two thousand. It seems like a little bit of revisionist history here. Just <laughs> that's kind of how I how I roll. Okay. Yeah, I play games until I win. So you know, I change the rules. This is true. We've been play, we played cribbage like eighteen times in a row once, I think, until like, you until won. I won. Yeah. Yes. All right. Let's let's get to work. What do you say? Yes. All right. So what I would like to talk about today is bagless visits and the natural environment in early intervention. Okay. Good. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I thought what I would do is just real quickly run through a little bit about what the IDEA law says about what we should be doing in early intervention sessions. Okay. Okay. Because this isn't stuff that states make up. Uh, the states have to follow federal guidelines. Okay. okay. So I. Uh, I've been working in early intervention for over two decades, and I'm telling you, things have changed an awful lot since mm -hmm. I first started in uh, early intervention. So you need to know about the um, about the law, the public law IDEA, which is the law that ensures that all school-age children will receive a free and appropriate public education, okay. and that includes students with disabilities. Right. So FAPE, fr free and appropriate public education. All right. So that's free and appropriate. Public education, yeah. So that's kind of what the, what the law, that IDEA law, um, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. That's what IDEA is. It uh, is a civil rights law, first came out in 1975. Um, it's been amended a few times. And in 1986, it was amended to include an option, it wasn't mandatory then, but an option for states to provide uh, support to infants and toddlers with disabilities and their families. Okay, so right. um, now in, in 2004, that was amended again. And so that's when uh, Part C uh, of IDEA came to be. And Part C is the part of the law that says states have to provide services to mm -hmm. infants and toddlers infants. Of, okay. uh -huh, of disability. So birth to 36 months, if you will, whereas the rest of IDEA covers school-age children. Okay. Okay. So anyway, so there's four parts of IDEA. There's part A, which is just sort of these general provisions. Part B uh, is the education of school-aged children with disabilities. So mm -hmm. from three to 21. Okay. One thing that's interesting, I was in Michigan, what, last week, two uh -huh. weeks ago? Uh, Michigan is the only state that I know of that has extended that to age 26. Oh. They provide education until age 26. Interesting. How interesting is that? Yeah. Now, Part C of IDEA is the services for infants and toddlers with disabilities and their families, birth to 36 months. And then there is a Part D, which provides grants. And So anyways, there's four parts of IDEA. Okay. And mm -hmm. Part C of, of this law says 
early intervention services must be provided in natural environments. It doesn't say should. It says must be. So when I, I always am curious, how do they define natural environments? What do we mean by that? Mm -hmm. Okay. So according to the law, natural environment includes settings where the child lives, learns, and plays. Okay. Home, daycare. That could be daycare. That could be uh, preschool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Natural environment includes materials found in the child's environment. Okay. So I hope you see where I'm going with this because bags of toys, when we bring in bags of toys to do our early intervention sessions, then that negates natural environment. Okay. Because the yeah. law says natural environment is materials found in the child's environment. Okay. Natural environment includes people with whom the child regularly interacts. So should siblings be a part of those early intervention sessions? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Should grandma and grandpa join if they're mm-hmm. there? Yeah. Uncle Joe? Yeah. yeah. The neighbor who hangs out at the house a lot? Sure. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whoever is there, right? Uh, and then the last component, natural environment includes activities that incorporate the interests and the routines of the child and family. So that's why we talk about routines-based intervention okay. and early intervention. And that's why we really focus on the child's interests and the family's interests. Okay? So when they added this natural environment component to the law in 2004, those of us who were already working in early intervention had a problem with this when this this sure. uh, yeah, uh, amendment kind of came out because everybody was like, wait a minute. Um, right now, parents are getting in their car and driving their infant or toddler to a clinic setting, mm-hmm. right? And we were providing this early intervention uh, a session in a in a clinic. You know, there were yeah. programs for uh, infants and toddlers, but they were all in a clinic setting. Mm-hmm. So it was up to the family to come to us. And that's sure. how most of us who are therapists, right? That's how we had worked. That's right. what we knew. So now all of a sudden they're like, no, no, no. Now you have to go into the natural environment. So we're like, what do you mean? So we have to pack our clinic in the trunk, right? Mm-hmm. Put our clinic in a bag, put the bag in the trunk and drive to the family's house and then dump the clinic out on the living room for, floor. And how is that efficient? You know, so yeah. all of us were very perplexed by this. Like it just Yeah, didn't... I remember you had a bag that had your name on oh, it. Oh, absolutely. You know, so we were all it about the bag. It was embroidered. It was yes, very, very nice. Yes, very much so. Very you still much have so. That bag? I do have that bag. Miss <laughs> Carrie is what Ms. it said Carrie, on it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So what started happening then is um, because we were used to running the session, right? Mm-hmm. In the clinic setting, obviously, parents didn't bring materials in. So obviously, we used our therapy toys, right? right we used all right. of our materials, our own books. So when they said, no, no, now you go into the natural environment, we thought, well, I guess then we take our stuff, right? right. So what we were right. doing was ignoring the part of the law that said natural environment includes materials found in the child's environment, right? Mm-hmm. We just sort of skipped over that because we're like, well, how would you ever do a session without materials? So we thought, well, we better bring our own. And that was the birth of the magic toy bag, right? So this right. magic toy bag then, everything revolved around that. So here in... Um, in Missouri, where I live and work, it was somewhere around uh, the late 2000s. I'm going to say 2007, 8, 9, in there. Right. We were instructed to stop bringing in bags of toys because everybody realized, wow, we didn't interpret the law correctly. Okay. So we were instructed to stop bringing in bags of toys. And mm-hmm. that's when we all got pretty huffy. We were like, well, yeah. what in the world? First, you tell us we have to drive there, right? right. And now you're telling us we can't take anything with us. And uh, so now we were like, Uh, okay well what about this what do we do then what do we do with families who don't 
have toys, right? What do we do with families who don't have books? And so everybody started getting pretty frustrated, okay? So when we had our bag of toys, let me just tell you, when we'd bring in that magic bag, parents would often say things like, oh, we really like our speech therapist. Mm -hmm. She's really sweet, but all she does is just just play with our child. We thought she was going to teach him to talk. And all she does is just play. So this is uh, what then people started thinking about early intervention providers. Well, all they do is just play. So in the grand kind of ranking of um, respect in the therapy world, I can only speak for speech language pathologists because that's, you know, I'm an SLP. So Mm -hmm. I can't speak for other therapists. But I will tell you, in the SLP world, here's how it goes as far as Who's the most respected SLPs? Those who work in a hospital are always um, the most respected because, you know, they, they're working with doctors. They wear right. white coats. They're obviously, you know, very, very smart. We're probably at the top of their class. So there's an assumption mm-hmm. that they're the brightest and the best. And then comes private clinic owners. I mean, if you own a clinic, you know, you must have some business savvy too, and you must be really good if you could open your own clinic. So then they're highly respected. Then come the lowly school-based SLPs. Sorry if you're a school-based SLP, but you know that, you know, school-based SLPs are not always talked about, you know, Mm -hmm. in the the greatest way. And so they're kind of less respected than the medical SLPs. And then, don't worry, uh, school-based SLPs, you're not at the bottom, because (laughs) then comes uh, the early intervention SLPs who all all they do is just play anyways, right? So um, it's assumed that um, we don't do anything really that's um, clinically relevant or that we don't really have a strong skill set because we just play with toys all day. So unfortunately, there is this this uh, kind of, I don't know. Hierarchy. Hierarchy. And yeah. I think it's unwritten, you yeah. know, but unfortunately, those of us in EI have felt that. Not very well respected. Right. Okay. So like when they reinterpreted this. Uh-huh. Was there any trainings or anything, any kind of direction that they tried to point you to give you an idea what to do without taking your bag of toys in? Yeah, we did. We had um, a training by Robin McWilliam here in Missouri, in Mm -hmm. Jackson County, Missouri, and it was all, um, you know, basically about parent coaching. And parent coaching is great. I am a huge proponent of parent coaching, but being told how to coach one time and not bring in toys doesn't mean you know how to coach. Yeah. So like the, the, like how you form a session. Right. Right. Wasn't covered. No, not really. They just basically said everything should be routines based. When you bring in a bag of toys, you focus only on the routine of play. You Mm -hmm. need to focus on other routines too. So it all sounded great. Do you know what I mean? It really did in theory until we went to work the next day without our bag of toys. And then we were like, well, what the heck? Now what do we do? Yeah. Parents were looking at us (laughs) like, well, are you unprepared? Like, did you, what's going on? Like, what are you, what are you here for? And so um, it was really interesting when we switched away from the bag of toys. I will have to tell you now. Um, I, I, it's very, very powerful parent coaching is, and I'm sure we've done, um, podcasts on, on coaching in the past. I mean, I have handouts on parent coaching, you know, I have a whole course on parent coaching. Uh, and so, um, getting rid of the magic toy bag was very difficult for us, but it's been very powerful. But here's one, one piece of research I'd like to share with you. Okay. Um, research done in 2007 by Campbell and Sawyer found that, um, in early intervention, uh, most providers engage in toy play during their home visits. And in fact, that research study found that those EI providers spend 69 to 72% of every session playing with toys. Hmm. Okay. Wow. So uh, uh, that's a pretty significant amount of time spent playing with toys. Right. Yet, 
Research indicates that intervention is most effective when it's provided in the context of the family's daily routines. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do families spend 69 to 72% of their day sitting on the floor with their child playing with toys? What do you think the answer is? No. Absolutely not. Can I just tell you, Jim, you remember uh, back when Aaron was little, Aaron was not yet diagnosed Um, Mm -hmm. with autism, but he was struggling, you know, in his development. So I'm going to say when he was two, okay, back then, I would go to work every day, do six to eight EI sessions a day. You know, Mm -hmm. he'd be at daycare. I would come home and, you know, pick him up from daycare. We had our two older children. You were working outside the home. Our life was rather chaotic. So when I would come home from work, there were, I mean, what did we have to do? Well, the girls had to go to softball practice or piano practice, and we had groceries to buy, and we had dinner to make and laundry to do, and I had progress notes to write, right? So I, I used to feel so guilty because I would think to myself, I'd come home from work, and I'd think, gosh, I spend an hour uninterrupted with other people's kids on the floor right. in my sessions, but I would come home and I did not sit on the floor for an hour and play right. you know, with Aaron and the yeah. toys. And I remember the guilt that I would feel. And so now it's really important for us to understand that we don't ever want to shame parents into thinking that they somehow are the reason their child is delayed, that because you're doing this wrong, you know, that your right. child is struggling. And so instead, during routines-based intervention, we recognize, well, if they don't sit on the floor and play, you know, for 69% of their day, then mm-hmm. we need to figure out how to embed our skilled strategies into other routines too, not just play. Okay. So you have to communicate with the parents on what, what their the, routines what are. What their routines yeah, are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, there was a study done in 2011 by Dana Childress, and uh, she wondered, okay, when do parents of toddlers with disabilities you know, when does play happen in those homes mm-hmm. specifically? Okay. And she found that most play happens under two circumstances. One, she found the child is playing with their toys and the parent is nearby, but the parent is doing chores. So maybe the parent is folding laundry or mm-hmm. cooking dinner. So the child is playing, but the parent is doing their chores. Okay. So that's one instance in which they found play is occurring. The second instance they found is, uh, Dana found, is that the parent playfully interacts with the child during caregiver routines. So they playfully interact with their child during bath time during meal time, during diaper changing time, during dressing time, during reading time. And so there was very little evidence found that parents actually sit on the floor wow. and play toys with their kids in a structured manner, which is what the EI providers were coming in and modeling, right? We were coming in, sitting on the floor, undistracted and playing for one hour. Mm-hmm. Our sessions were usually an hour long right. and the parents were kind of just sitting and observing, right? Sitting on the couch, right. learning through osmosis, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and observing this and we would leave and um, I can remember parents saying to me, you know, he only plays with his toys like that when you're here or you're the only one who can get him to talk or he only does that when you're here. Right. And so I started questioning like, well, what are we doing then? Like, you know, because what parents then wanted was more. Mm-hmm. Oh, you only come once a week, Carrie. Could you come twice? twice a week because if I'm the only one who can get their child to do X, Y, or Z, then they're assuming, well, crap, clearly this is something only a professional can handle. Right. So I need you more. Okay. So when we bring in our magic bag of toys, we must understand it is no longer natural environment. Nothing that we do then meets the law, matches, excuse me, what the law says 
because it's no longer natural environment. We always have to remember that natural environment is more than a location. Okay. It's always been That's, viewed as a location. I like that. It's more than a location. Right. Okay. Materials and activities are part of the natural environment stipulation. And I think we have ignored that, right, mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah. So as most states, <clears throat> I say most states, um, some still are very much into the bag of toys. Some right. states have not transitioned fully to parent coaching, okay, to routines-based intervention. Uh, so uh, for the states who have made that shift, it's just important to be able to understand and explain and recognize what natural environment means. How many times do you think that you have gone out and done you know, a training for other states that are just now switching over. Oh, quite a few, quite a few. And I can remember some of those emails coming and they seem kind of frantic Uh about it that, okay, we don't know. We don't know how to do this. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what to do. And then Mm -hmm. you come out and... Yeah, I have a whole six-hour course called the ABCs of Early Intervention Mm -hmm. that literally goes, it's 26 topics, A through Z, and uh, C is parent coaching. And we spend like two and a half hours uh, of the day just on what coaching is and how to implement it and, you know, really go into the details of it. Yeah, because, you know, it seems like when those people would call, it would be like, okay, so I have to guide the all these therapists that are now going to have their whole you know world change on them right because they're used to bringing in materials right right and leading the session and you remember what that was like i do remember i do remember and it was very hard so robin mcwilliam who is a big um early intervention parent coaching you know uh guru if you will he says one of the biggest issues with the toy bag is that the session is viewed as being for the child so the caregivers think their presence and participation is optional. Okay. How powerful is that? Like that to yeah. me just speaks volumes uh, about, you know, when a parent sees you come in, sit down on the floor and immediately start playing with the child, the parent goes, oh, well, I should probably step away because I might, you know, interfere or the right. child focuses better when I'm not in the room. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is, and it makes sense if the session's for the child, why would the parent need to be here? Right. Okay. Right. So bagless sessions, when you do not prepare anything when you come in with nothing but maybe you know your your ipad to take notes at the end or whatever you know you don't come in with a bag of toys so let's talk about what bagless sessions allow us to do bagless sessions allow us to focus on parenting strategies Mm -hmm. not on toys okay see it's relationship based right it's interaction based not activity based it's a big shift. Yeah. Bagless sessions allow us to join the parent and child in routines, which may or may not involve toys. Okay. I mean, you know, uh, sure, playtime involves toys, bath time involves toys, but mm-hmm. a lot of other routines during the day don't right. involve toys. Yeah. Bagless sessions allow us to provide truly individualized sessions. Bagless sessions build the caregiver's capacity for supporting the child's learning and development during everyday routines and interactions. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things I love so much about early intervention. We say it is a capacity-building program. When I first heard that term, I thought it meant build the child's capacity. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, build the child's capacity to learn and develop. No, 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 no. Early intervention is a capacity-building program, meaning we are there to transfer our skills and knowledge to the parent and build their capacity 
to be able to support their child's learning and development. Okay. Isn't that fascinating? It's not about, we're not here to quote unquote, fix the child's deficits. Okay. Okay. We're here to empower and educate parents and caregivers to support their child's learning and development all day, every day, during whatever routines naturally occur. Okay. It's not about setting aside special time to work on gross motor or set aside special time to work on language mm-hmm. or fine motor. Right. No, no, no. I don't want you setting aside special time to do anything. I want you to use these strategies <clears throat> that I'm going to coach you on. I want you to use those strategies and embed them into already existing routines. Right. I'll never ask you to do anything extra. It's not about leaving homework, okay? Right, it is yeah. about um, uh, uh, providing those strategies uh, in, in routines. And then finally, bagless sessions allow us to practice at the top of our license, okay? Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is routines-based intervention is evidence-based. This mm-hmm. isn't fluff. This isn't somebody's random idea. So when you practice at the top of your license, it means you are you are looking at what the evidence says. That's the reasons our states have gone to this. It's why the law, IDEA Part C, says we should be doing it. Mm-hmm. So we need to practice at the top of our license. So we're talking about skilled strategies, not toys, not activities. Focus on parent coaching um, and and enhancing their learning and development in natural contexts. Okay. So these strategies can be embedded into any routine, not just play. Mm Mm-hmm. All awesome. sound good? Yeah, that sounds Very great. good, very good. All right, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of SLP Talk Show. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell your colleagues to give us a listen, leave us a five-star review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now get out there, be kind, be accepting, and please get your mammogram. Early detection could save your life. It certainly saved mine. Until we meet again, cheers. Cheers.